following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. A lot of us have family and friends, and very quickly, when we really get to know someone, you begin to learn kind of what they're excited about. You learn, actually, if you get a little bit closer to them, what their obsession is. So just tell me, in our day, with your friends and family, not you, of course, but what, what are people's obsession? What is it? Dylan, what, what's, what's people's obsession? What are they obsessed over? Come on, anything. Their what? Their phones. Okay, they're obsessed. They walk around with their phones. What else? What are the... What? Themselves. Okay. Bianca, what? What? Food. Okay, you're a foodie. All right. Okay, not you, of course. Everybody you know. Uh, what else? Entertainment. What? Sports. Video games. I'm sorry, I missed that. Television. Politics. Whoa. Chill. Ran down my spine. What else? Money. What? Pets? Did you say pets? Like a dog? You're not thinking about a cat, though, right? <laughs> it's interesting. As we conclude Galatians today in our study of Galatians, and if you're new with us today, we've been working our way through this book since September. Actually, August is when we started, and we're now at the very last half of the last paragraph, and we're finishing the book today, which is a wonderful study together. It's been life-changing but that's what Paul begins to focus on. He wants to know about your obsession. He wants to actually address your obsession and the things that really get you excited. And he wants to replace it with something. It's talked about all over in the New Testament. You can't miss it. It's so clear and so obvious. And I don't want to you know, bring ice to Eskimos, but I want to tell you what the Bible actually says. He says in Hebrews chapter 12 very clearly, to fix our eyes on, anybody know? Jesus. Fix our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Christ wants us to be fixed on him and the cross. Now, what's the benefit of that? If you consider him, verse 3, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you would not grow weary or lose heart. This season, this time of year, people get tired. Uh, it's just, just overwhelming how worn out people can get during May and as we approach summer. And there are some people who actually in their walk with the Lord lose heart. And if that's you today, God's solution is really simple to fix your eyes on Jesus and remember that he's the one who endured the cross provided salvation for you. Uh, you just sang it, that he made you whiter than all your sin. All of it is washed. When God looks at you, he sees Christ's perfection. You are ready for heaven if you're a Christian right now, today. That should make you smile. Because I know we get worn out, we get just overwhelmed and burdened with the weights and guilts and choices and thought life, etc., things that we struggle with and we're still working through and we're, our sanctification is not perfect and how can God love me? And you've got to remember, 
It's all washed. You are forgiven all your sins and that you stand in perfection in Christ because of what he did, not because of what you did. And God, are you ready? Wants you to be obsessed with that every single day. In fact, you may have a list of things that really you love. And Christ wants this to supersede all of your obsessions, all of your affections, all of them. And that's really how we can best worship him today. We can best worship him today by offering ourselves to say, Lord, I want to be more obsessed with you and the cross than the other things that are distracting me in this world. That's how you can worship him. Just even a little step in that direction is pleasing to him. And worship is not just you attending, it's you offering yourself as a living sacrifice. So you're saying, I want my life to come under this. And that's the challenge that he gives us in Galatians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. He's working his way through, and he's going to say, this is what I want your boast about. I want your boast to be about the cross of Christ. Some of you in our community groups went through the cross-centered life. And this is almost a summary of all that. And today, these, these verses actually are a summary of the entire letter. He's not just giving you the conclusion. He's giving you the summary of everything he's talked about. So hopefully you have your Bibles open. You have a Bible with you, I hope and pray. And that we're talking about Christians are cross. Now that doesn't mean angry. It means they're just cross-centered. They're focused on the cross. They think about Christ. And I want you to take your outline, if you would. And because I know you love to read out loud with me, I want you to read out loud from these verses, from your outline, verses 14 through 18. Let's read it together. Are you ready? Here we go. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything or uncircumcision, but a new creation." And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the, the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. And all God's people said, Amen. You and I, according to this passage, need to reprioritize our lives. We really do. And that's not an easy task. Now, here's the reason why. Why would you need to reprioritize? Because the, this, this passage is going to tell us and remind us that it's easy to get off trail, isn't it? As we're walking with Christ, it's easy to kind of forget Christ, to move on with our life, to get distracted with the things of the world. It's so easy to let secondary issues and other priorities dominate what is most important in our lives. We are beach people or movie maniacs or gamers or sports nuts or fans or foodies or Disney types or friend groups or even our families. And really the reality, if, if we were to actually expose our spiritual heart to someone, Christ is secondary. What happens a lot to Christians is that too many of us are consumed with Christian issues. You know what I mean by that? Christian issues would be things like ministry or or the church, or our fellowship, or our friends who are here, or our gatherings, or teaching, or discipleship. And so we become, are you ready? Obsessed with Christianity, but not obsessed with Christ. 
It's so easy for us to live external and to go through the motions and allow our hearts, as Paul and Christ warned us, to drift from Jesus Christ. Another reason why this is so essential for us is far too many of us are deceived into thinking that we're saved, but there's no sacrifice for Christ, no service, no love, no heart, no desire to follow Him. And many believers are current with the news. They're incensed by evil agendas. They see it. Our eyes have been opened. We see it. We're disgusted by off-center government. We're disappointed by faulty political leaders. We're grossed out by wicked immoralities. We have obsessed over politics. But we give little time to actually loving Christ. Or living thankful for the cross. Christ and his cross must be a genuine Christian's obsession. Obsession. What must we do? Well, point number one in your outline, this passage is going to tell us the answer to that question, and that is that you pursue the lifestyle of glorying in the cross. There's a lifestyle that you have to follow, and there's going to be four main things under that. So this morning, again, what is your obsession? If you were to ask your family, your friends, your spouse, your parents, what would they say to you? Maybe they already said to you multiple times, this is your upset. You're obsessed with this. What is it? Recognize that. It could be a sport, your kids, your grandkids, your cute wife, chocolate, coffee, ice cream. Those are all mine. Uh, cars, travel, skills, gifts, talents, music, ministry, your study, your friends, your diet, your exercise. What's your obsession? Today, Christ, the Lord, your King, wants you to dramatically change your obsession. You say, how do you do that? Four things he gives us in this passage. First in your outline, make your biggest brag Christ and what he did on the cross. Make the thing you talk about most Christ and the cross. Now, what was happening here was the false teachers were bragging. And they were bragging about how they could convince the Galatian Gentiles, especially, to be circumcised, to become Jewish and their desire to do that so that they could be super religious and actually earn salvation. And so they were bragging about it. Take a look at the end of verse 13. You'll see it there. He says, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may what? Boast. Come on. They may what? Thank you. Boast in your flesh. They're boasting. Look at how many Galatians I talked into getting circumcised. And they're getting all excited. They're going to tell all their friends back in Jerusalem, look, we got them and we won these converts to salvation by works contest here. And so that's their boast. And Paul, in contrast to that boast, says, I'm never going to boast in circumcision. I'm never going to boast in a religious external. I'm never going to boast in somehow working your way to heaven. Never do that. May it never be, he says. That's the strongest negative in the Greek language. May it never be, he says, that I would boast except in the what? Cross of Christ. Now that word boast you have to kind of dig into when you're doing a Bible study. Sometimes you look at that word, you go, well, is that really what it means? It's hard to translate because there's no exact English word that matches it. So help, let me help you understand it. It's more than bragging. John Stott 
in his commentary, says this, to boast in, to glory in, to trust in. It means to rejoice in, to revel in. It really, as you expand the word and its meaning, it means to live for the object of your glory and that fills your horizon. It's like everything you see is this. It engrosses your intention uh, and your attention and it absorbs your time and your energy. Well, you know what that means? It means your obsession. It means your obsession. Paul is obsessed with the cross. And that's unusual for two reasons. Are you ready? Number one, he's obsessed with not what everybody else is obsessed with. What's everybody else is obsessed with? Well, everybody's obsessed with influence, intellect, strength, popularity, how many hits you get on Instagram, and, and basically any spiritual achievement by Paul. Anyone. If he's thinking, oh, look at me, look what I've done, I've planted these churches, I've won these people to Christ. Anything like that, Paul would say that that's excrement. Philippians, compared to knowing Jesus Christ. I'm not going to brag about my accomplishments. I'm going to brag about Christ. And anything else is going to be the lowest of the low compared to Christ. That's what he says. It also is unusual because his boast, what he actually does boast about in this verse, is extremely abnormal. Now, to us it might not be, so let me help you understand why his boast in the cross is so weird. Why is it weird? Well, imagine, Monday through Friday, you are telling all your schoolmates how excited you are about being in the firing squad. That's your excitement. Or how about having a close friend who's obsessed with the hangman noose? His whole room is just filled with hangman nooses. Every time he gets a piece of string, he ties it into a hangman noose. That's all. He's possessed by that, obsessed by that. How about if you had a doctor dad and a nurse mother, and they start each day thrilled over the idea that maybe today we'll get to give lethal injection. That would be kind of weird, right? Are you with me on this? Or how about you've got a Barbie-loving daughter who's consumed with the electric chair? Now, that's strange. You just go, Adam's family, right? Now, this is really weird. This is what it was like for Paul to be obsessed with the cross of Christ. Now, here's our problem. 2,000 years later, you know, we view the cross as something noble and beautiful. We, we make jewelry out of crosses and wear them. But in the first century, the cross was the lowest, ugliest, most disdained thing imaginable. The cross was the ultimate humiliation. Roman citizens were not crucified because they considered it degrading, detestable, and disgraceful. Look what commentator F.F. Bruce says. He's a fantastic commentator. He says this, The object of Paul's present boasting was the most ignoble of all objects, a matter of shame, not of boasting, it is difficult after centuries now where the cross has been a sacred symbol to realize the unspeakable horror and loathing which the very mention of the cross provoked in Paul's day. It's totally different. The cross should have been an embarrassment to the early church. After all, what would people think if the religious leader of Christianity was actually the founder here, crucified as the lowest criminal in the most painful and shameful way to die. But instead of denying it, ignoring it, or excusing it, you know what the Christians did? They advertised it. They were consumed with it. 
Paul wrote these phrases in your New Testament. You'll recognize them. Let me read them to you. That Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Or, we preach Christ crucified. Or, we know nothing but Jesus and Him crucified. The message of the cross, the offense of the cross, the triumph of the cross, the wonder of the cross. So, Paul's asking in verse 14, what's your list of obsessions? What's on your list of I like this best when it comes to people, places, things, or things that occupy your heart, your mind, and your affections? You know what Paul's telling you today? Get this. He's not telling you to add Jesus and the cross to your list. He's actually asking you to tear up your list and make a new one that starts with Christ and the cross and everything else is on page two. That's what he's saying. This has got to be number one in every way. Look what he says again in Galatians 6.14. May it never be that I would boast about an external, about circumcision or anything like that. I, I would not boast that you know, these people came to Christ under my ministry. I don't care about that. That's, that's, that's excrement compared to my focus. I would only boast. I would only be obsessed with anything except for the cross of Christ. Now, you understand what the cross means, right? So you got to get this, why this is so significant. The cross means you renounce anything that you might try to do to save yourself and everything you might try to do to please God on your own. It, you, there's no way that you're going to ever be saved by your human efforts, and there's no way you're ever going to please God in your own strength. That's what the cross means. The cross means you're obsessed with Christ, His suffering, His dying for your sin, His resurrection from the dead, His ascension into heaven, and you're not obsessed with people that you win to Christ, the amount of ministry you do, the way you attend church, the way you give, none of those things. You're obsessed with Christ and the cross. The cross means you glory in Christ and you don't glory in yourself. You cannot glory in yourself and glory in the cross of Christ. Simultaneously, Galatians, this letter forces you to choose between religion and the cross between circumcision and the cross, between externalism and the cross. It's either one or the other, never both. Circumcision was just another way of claiming I'm going to work my way to heaven when really the cross declares Jesus, what we just sang, paid it what? All. He did it all. God saved you. God forgave you. God washed you as white as snow. Religion is a failed attempt to somehow Please God on your own strength. The cross is recognizing that God accomplished your favored standing with God and your heavenly eternal blessing. Take a look at what Pastor Philip Riken says about the cross-centered life. He says the cross is not just something to boast about. It's the only thing to boast about. The cross is the only thing to boast about because it means that God loves us enough to die for us. That he saved us through the death of his own dear son. That means that you have been redeemed that Christ has paid the whole price for our salvation. The cross means we have forgiveness for our sins, that Christ offered himself as an atoning sacrifice to take away our guilt. The cross means you're justified, that God now accepts us as righteous in his sight. His wrath has been turned away, and now we stand what? Innocent before him. Whatever thrills your life, whatever captivates your thinking, whatever motivates your time and money needs to be demoted off your obsessed list and the cross and Christ must be made number one and everything else a distant second. Is it true? Really, practically, Monday through Friday, is it true? That's the key. 
that is so essential to your spiritual growth and to the manifestation of genuine salvation. The, the cross of Christ is the all-sufficient ground of salvation of sinners. Again, for those of you who are new with this, every faith on planet Earth, every single religion on planet Earth, every secular idea of religion on planet Earth is always working your way to heaven. If I'm good enough, if I light enough candles, if I do enough things, if I offer enough fruit, if I live the certain way, if I attend these certain services, somehow I'm going to make it. Christianity says you'll never do it on your own. You're too sinful. God's wrath must be poured out against sin. And so God said, I loved you enough to actually provide a way by having my son die for sin on the cross, rise from the dead. When you rely on what he has done, he makes you right with him. When you rely completely on the finished work of Christ, and when it's genuine, not only you're covered with his righteousness, but you are transformed internally. That's part and parcel to salvation. It happens the moment. Not only are you, you know, from his enemy to his friend, but now you have been transformed. And you've been made right. And it's so important that you understand the cross of Christ, meaning this, if you're going to boast in the cross properly, you're going to boast in the cross exclusively. Number two in your outline. Here's the second step that you need to recognize in order to live the cross-centered life is make your boast, your most powerful hope, the way of salvation that frees you from this world. Make your most powerful hope, that's your boast, that the way of salvation that frees you from this world. What he's saying here is boasting in the cross is more than simply believing. It actually is glorying in the cross, is living a crucified life. You died with Christ. And that's why he says at the end of verse 14, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You died to self, you died to the world. There are people who are enslaved to the world. Those would be non-believers. There are people who are sometimes enamored with the world. Sometimes that's Christians. Or even a lot of believers are worn out by the world. We can't wait to get out of here. But those who are obsessed with the cross will begin living as if they are dead to the world. In your heart of hearts, you are dead to the world. You say, where do you get that from? Everywhere. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, what's it say? It says, do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is what? Not in him. Dead to the world. James 4.4, 4, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be the friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He's not just talking about sin and obvious disobedience. He's talking about where your heart affections are. Where are your heart affections? Being obsessed with the cross means, look at verse 16, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. There's one cross. There's multiple crucifixions. Christ was crucified. The world is crucified. The flesh is crucified. And you are crucified, Christian, because you are in union with Christ. That doctrine is established over and over. Romans 6 is all about your union with Christ. And basically, when Christ died, who else died? You did. It's as if you were crucified with Christ, literally, practically. So when he died, you were crucified to the world, and the world was crucified to you. So therefore, the world, you know, is all those not only godless values and hopeless temporary pleasures, but it's also your affections uh, that are, you know, the world would be set on self and fulfilling its own desire, but when you follow Christ and you're consumed with the cross, it gives a, a death blow 
to those affections, to those desires, that worldliness and love of the world or world love. We Christians sometimes get caught up with pleasure, with non-sinful enjoyments and distractions, but now we've got a new heart, a new heart that knows love and peace and joy that the world knows nothing about. And, and the world's confused. Would you agree that the world's confused? The world says, many genders, just make one up. And the Bible says, there's two, male and female. All right? The world says, hey, I'm promoting sex with whoever and whenever you want, resulting in a lot of shame and guilt. Christ says, only in marriage between a husband and a wife. The world says, greed is good, and Christ says, giving is good. The world says, self is your identity. He says, he is your identity. We don't think like the world thinks anymore. We don't say what the world says anymore. We don't take comfort in what the world has to offer. We don't value what the world values. We no longer care what the world thinks because each of us have been crucified to this world. That's what Paul is saying. What means the world to us is Christ in the cross. Amen? Listen, I pin you to the wall. I take everything away. I threaten your life. And what you're going to come back to is you're going to say, you know what, you can take anything away from me. Just don't take Christ and the cross. Right? For a Christian, that's where you're going to come. You're going to fall back on. In fact, Paul's already told us that in the crucifixion of Christ that our flesh was crucified. That was chapter 5, verse 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now he's adding in this verse, the world needs to join the flesh on the cross and all our remaining internal fleshly desires and all those remaining external desires from the world were nailed to the cross. And the, this idea of crucifixion there in this verse that we're looking at, verse 16, that crucified is a, is a particular tense. It's the perfect tense. And what it means is that on the cross, Christ died and wiped out and killed the desires of your flesh and the world's desires. And then that tense also means there's present abiding results. So progressively now in your life, the things of this world are going to mean less and less and your own desires are going to mean less and less as you begin to follow Christ and the cross. Are you tracking with me? It's a progressive thing. Those results continue to work out in your life. Listen, the older you are, would you say amen to the fact that this world means less to you than ever before? Yeah, you're just like, I'm out of here. I, I don't have anything affections anymore to what's going on around me. And therefore, there's an increasing sense of, I don't value this anymore. And that's worked out. That's what Paul is telling us. You and I are dead to the world with its temptations, alive to God by his grace, and progressively that's going to be worked out in your life. Perfect tense. It's going to be crucified, and you're going to see it worked out. It's accomplished, and then you're going to see it worked out. And that's why Paul reminds us thirdly in your outline, make your greatest reliance on what the Spirit can do and not what you can do. If you're going to be cross-centered, you're going to be focused on Christ, you're going to fix your eyes on Jesus, you want your greatest reliance on what God can do through His Spirit, not what you can do. I'm not interested in what I can do. I'm interested in what the Spirit can do through me. Can anybody say amen to that? The cross changed the world. And now you and I live in a whole new world, and that's verse 15. Take a look at it. Neither is circumcision anything and uncircumcision anything, but a new what? Creation. Would you right now look at your neighbor and look at them in the eye and tell them, you are a new creation. Go! Yeah, they are. Now, 
The only people who lied in this room are the people who are talking to a non-Christian. I don't know who that is. But if you are a Christian, you are a new creation. The moment you were born again, you responded to Jesus Christ in saving faith and depending upon his finished work on the cross and who he is and and God incarnate, the God-man who died and rose from the dead and suffered all the punishment you deserved on the cross and you repented of your sin. You said, I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to live his way. That happened the moment you were regenerate and then even any religious effort at that moment that you responded to Christ, all religious effort, even circumcision, all immediately showed itself for what it really is, which is irrelevant. It has no meaning anymore. For none of those things have anything to do with your salvation or your Christian life. Paul stated it this way, uh, this truth back in chapter 5, verse 6. He said, for in Christ Jesus, if you're in Christ, neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. So circumcision only mattered to Paul because the Judaizers made it a big deal. They're saying, look, Galatians, you got to be circumcised to be saved. you got to be Jewish to be saved, so you got to get circumcised. That's the sign of whether you're really in the family or not. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. In and of itself, circumcision means nothing. If you are in Christ, circumcision can do nothing to improve your standing before God. That's what Paul's been teaching us. And if you're not in Christ, circumcision can do nothing to save you. Nothing. Circumcision has nothing to do with your Christianity, nothing to do with faith or your sanctification at all. It doesn't matter. Then what does matter, Paul? I love this. Take a look. Verse 15, a new what? Creation. Now what's that? That's the inward transformation by the Holy Spirit. And you know what he does? He takes the caterpillar, turns you into a butterfly. He metamorphosizes you. So now you're a whole new person. Now, that neighbor who you're sitting next to, that spouse you're sitting next to, listen, if they are born again, they may look the same on the outside. They are not the same on the inside. We are made up of body and spirit, okay, both material and immaterial. At the point of death, what happens? Why does the body not respond anymore? Because the immaterial has departed from the material. The separation is called death. That's what happens. But that immaterial part of you has been transformed. It's no longer what it was. It's different. It has different desires, different affections, different habits. All of that's been changed. Now, it doesn't always show itself immediately, but progressively there's going to be that desire to live out that changed life. And that's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 means. It means if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Anyone who's born again by God's Spirit gets a whole new life. Listen, you don't turn over a new leaf. You get a whole new person. The theological term for this is called regeneration. The moment you're saved, you're justified. You're covered in His righteousness. The moment you're saved, the same thing happens. You're regenerated which means you're given a new nature. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And that new nature now has new desires that the Bible talks about. Romans 6, 17, you have a heart that wants to obey. You desire that. Listen, now, don't be discouraged. 
Because some of you flat out in your disobedience, you're flat on your face, worst week of your life, worst moment of your life, you're going, I am so disgustingly sinful. As you're laying there, if you're a new Christian, guess what? You're still going to go, I still want to follow Jesus. I still want to please him. Even in your worst moment, maybe, maybe not right in that moment, you got to get, you know, get over your grief and your tears and your emotions or whatever. When you start you know, getting in touch with who you really are, you're going to go, no, I want, I, want, I want to please Christ. That's just part of what it means to be a born-again Christian. And Paul's talking about regeneration here, which not just involves your conversion, but your continual growth in Christ. Take a look at that theologian that I've given you this quote for, leading to the eventual conformity to the image of Christ. So it's going to change you over time. The new creation results in new desires, new affections, new habits, all the result of the supernatural ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. It doesn't matter if you're a circumcised Jew circumcision, uncircumcision. doesn't matter if you're an uncircumcised Gentile. What matters is you are a new creation in Christ. Listen, when you're sharing the gospel, don't just talk about justification. Don't just talk about that your sin falls on Christ and his righteousness covers you. Tell them and remind them that if you're justified, you're regenerated. If you're regenerated, you want to follow him. You're not going to do it perfectly, but my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. You will want to follow him. And if you're here in this room and you go, I don't want to follow Jesus, that's a bad spiritual indicator. That puts you in a dangerous spot. Because the regenerate heart wants to follow Christ. Not because you have to, because you want to. And that's what Paul's referring to here. It doesn't matter externally. Circumcision, uncircumcision, doesn't matter. You, basically, if you have no new desires, no new affections, no ultimate new habits, then ask God to save you from the inside out because salvation always involves a changed heart. Always. What you do means nothing. It's what Christ has done and that makes all the difference now and in eternity. So God alone is the one who can transform you and lots of external Christian looking people are going to hear from Jesus, depart from me, I never knew you. You need to respond to Nicodemus' challenge when Jesus said, unless you are born again, regenerated, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You must be born again. That's why Paul wraps up the challenge to be the cross Christian, not an angry Christian, but one who is focused on Christ and the cross. Number four, make your greatest certainty that Christ can transform you. Your greatest certainty that Christ can transform you. Everyone who is a new creation receives this blessing. Look at verse 16. Look at it now. And those who will walk as a lifestyle by this, what? Rule. Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Now, what's he talking about here? He's basically telling you, what did he just say? He just talked about regeneration, the new creation. So don't take this out of context. And he goes, this rule. If you're walking by this rule of regeneration, being a new creature, that you've trusted in Christ and his finished work on your behalf, you didn't try to earn it, but it all came from him and he transformed you. When you live by that, then the result is peace and mercy. What's peace? The war with God's over. If you're a non-Christian, you're at war with God. I'm going to do it my way. When you become a Christian, you go, no, I'm no longer at war. I I submit to what he's done, and I want to follow him and be his family, be his child, because I am his child. I don't want to live that way. The, the, The peace, it's all over. The war is over. And then mercy. Mercy means I deserve eternal torment in hell. I deserve to be punished forever. 
I sinned against God. I went my own way. I, I did my own thing. I think thoughts that are unworthy of him. I, I, anybody with me on this? And therefore, now he gives, instead of the wrath that I deserve, he gives me mercy. So then when he says, you walk according to this rule, that means a principle, a standard to live by, which is the principle of regeneration, that God alone does the work to sanctify you, that God alone does the work to save you. It's all by the power of his spirit and none of your own strength, none of your own choice. And here's the rule that salvation is by Christ and the cross, that he accomplishes it. That he did it for you. Salvation is not by walking an aisle or praying a prayer. Salvation is not by making a decision for Christ or going to church. Salvation means you are born, what? Again. Regenerated. Made new. Uh, You're a new creature by God. That's what he just told us. The Judaizers, you know what their standard was? This is Paul's making a distinction. And he's telling the Galatians, this is the difference what they're telling you, because the Judaizers are telling you the standard for the Jewish faith to determine whether you're really inside or outside the family of God was circumcision. And it means nothing to those who are a new creation. The Christian standard is the crucified Christ and the work of God on your behalf and trusting in that by faith. The principle that determines whether you're inside or outside the family of God is faith in the crucified Christ. That's what gives you peace. That's what gives you mercy. Now, here's where it gets a little tricky. Look at the end of verse 16. He says, and those who will walk by this rule, this rule of regeneration, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the, what? Israel of God. Now, he's making a distinction between the regenerate Gentile believers in the church and Jews who are part of the nation of Israel. So he's saying the church and Israel are different And the internal transformational salvation and its accompanying peace and mercy is available to Gentiles in Galatia, but the regeneration and its resultant peace and mercy that comes with that also is available to anyone who's a Jew. Anyone. Any person who's racially a part of the nation of Israel, those Jews who turn to Christ in salvation can become the children of God. Amen? They can. And he says the difference between the church and Israel, which is very defined here, is basically that salvation is available to both. Aren't you glad? Both Jew and Gentile can be saved. In fact, God can save anyone. Can you say amen to that? Anyone. Even the false teaching Judaizers can be regenerated and respond in saving faith. Listen, if you're here this morning and somehow you've been associated with murder, you're an idol-worshiping pagan, you go out and prance around the trees and hug them, you're a homosexual, you're a religious zealot, you're a Presbyterian, or worst of all, you're a Baptist, okay? That was a lot funnier in the first hour and second hour, No matter what you are, God can transform you from the inside out no matter how hard your heart is. You can have peace with God, peace with one another, and receive mercy from God instead of his wrath if you rely on Christ and the cross for salvation. That's what he's been telling us.
So let's wrap this up in these last two points. Verses 17 and 18 are unique. And point number two is determined to give your leaders their due honor. I think there's probably a better way to state this. Uh, The better way to state this is that basically recognize the difference between God's mark and the world's mark. It was very hard to phrase. So I'm just telling you, it's recognize the difference between somebody who's marked by the world and religion and somebody who's marked by true faith and salvation by grace through faith. Are you tracking with me? So it's kind of like recognize the differences. You say, what are you talking about? Well, this is a really unique statement that he gives us as a part of true Israel as well as an incredible apostle. And he's got battle scars to prove that he's a part of Israel because take a look at what he says in verse 17. He says, from now on, let no one cause trouble for me for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. Now this is a challenge to the false teachers. Some of them followed him from Jerusalem. They're coming out here, they're messing up and he's basically putting them in their place and he's telling you, look, this is a loving reminder that you need to make sure that, uh, that to not cause any more trouble, not to be messing with God's sheep. This is a dangerous place, you Judaizers and pseudo-Christians and some Christians who are misled as you're trying to move people away from justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. This is a very dangerous place to be in. So he's warning them. He's also giving us a loving reminder for every Christian because it shows the kind of treatment you can expect if you're consumed with the cross. Listen, if you're consumed with the cross, you're going to have pushback. If you're consumed with the cross, people are not going to like it. This is why Christians sometimes remain silent because they know if they actually spoke the truth, they would get heat from people. Paul already has taken a beating. Paul was already in Lystra stoned in the Galatia region, that's Lystra, and he's got marks all over his body. Sometimes we think, oh, God protected him supernaturally. Listen, he had marks from being stoned all over his body. He's telling you, I've got the brand marks. I've been persecuted. Now, what you got to get is this, and I'm going to say some things that are somewhat upsetting. If you glory in the cross, then you believe that all your friends are putrid sick sinners. Because why? Christ, God himself, had to die for them. When you believe in the cross, you're saying he had to die for these really nice people. They look nice on the outside, but before God, they're what? Sinners and deserving of full condemnation. Are you tracking with me? And when you embrace the cross, you're saying that about everybody that you know and love. That they're a sinner deserving God's condemnation. And people don't like hearing that. Are you tracking with me? Well, then you add to that, when you brag about the cross and you boast about it, then you believe that no family member will ever save themselves. No matter how good they are, no matter how nice they are, they're never going to save themselves. And if you boast about the cross and you focus on that and you fix your eyes on Jesus and that's your brag, the cross, then you believe that Christ alone can provide salvation. So the three M's, Mother Teresa, okay, Muhammad, and Mormons are not going to make it. Now, the people get offended by that. You start saying those kind of things. But if they're trusting in a false system of salvation, are they going to be saved? Yes or no? No. And that's why the promise of Scripture in 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Because when you're consumed with the cross, you have a different belief lens as you look at everybody on this planet. And Paul's persecution was the result of him boasting in the cross. 
Now, what were the false teachers boasting in? Circumcision. They're saying, that's the brand mark. That's the mark of a true believer. And Paul says, no, it's not. You know what the brand mark of a true believer is? When you get pushback, when you're persecuted, when you got the brand marks of Jesus, not that you all have to be beaten or stoned or left for dead, but there's going to be pushback. There's going to be people who reject you. There's going to be people who don't want to hear you. You might lose your job. There's all kinds of consequences that can happen. When you stand firmly on the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's going to be pushback. Can I hear an amen? That's what he's talking about. That's the brand mark. That's what he's saying. That's the indicator of who's real and who's not. It's not about this circumcision that there's no persecution for. It's all about standing for the cross, which there's mega pushback for that. And so as he wraps up this incredible letter, he basically then challenges with point number three, which is enjoy the lifestyle driven by grace. Enjoy it. Listen, is salvation by grace, yes or no? What does that mean? Christ, God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. It means that salvation is a free gift. It means that God provided it, that God did the work, that you don't work your way to heaven. God did the work to make you right with him. You just submit to his process. You embrace his process. That's called faith. And it's a prayer here for God's blessing on everyone who trusts in the gospel of salvation that comes by grace through faith in Christ alone. Grace is a free gift. It's free. And that bothers people because they think they need to earn it because of our pride. And he's saying, no. Live by the free gift that God did it all. Grace means that Christ did all the work to save us. It's not about divine uh, human achievement. It's about divine accomplishment. It's what he did. And God's work is not your work. It is freely given by grace. And this grace, look at the verse 18. He says to be with your spirit. One more time. You are body and you are also what? Spirit. Dichotomist. Two elements. Body and spirit. The separation means death, okay? But right now, there's a whole bunch of bodies here in this room, but in those bodies are living spirits. And if you are in Christ, that spirit has been redone. And so what does he say in verse 18? He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, your internal transformation, your change. You are made new. You look the same on the outside, but you're not the same. You've been transformed, metamorphosized by God, given in salvation. God did it. You didn't do it. He's the one that gave you the new heart that wants to follow him. He gave you the new heart that wants to obey, even when you fail to. It is him who did it. Who's it for? He says it is for the brethren. That's Jew and Gentile. Gentile and Jew, uncircumcised and circumcised is for everyone, of every culture, of every person on the planet. God's grace is for believers whom God has chosen to be his eternal family. And you and I, in response to all of God's graciousness to us, can say one word, the very last word in Galatians, which is amen, which means so be it. I agree. I affirm this. Amen. God is the author of salvation. God is the one who provided salvation. God did it through love and grace and mercy by offering his own son to suffer and die on your behalf, to rise from the dead. And anyone, Jew, Gentile, lowest, moral, corrupted individual in our midst, doesn't matter. He offers it to anyone who cries out to him for it. Anyone. 
Will you? Will you? Let's take this home, will you? Letter A. Are you obsessed with the cross? Seriously, you got to ask yourself. I got to ask myself that question. Is that truly my obsession? Only those who disdain and remove all their other obsessions, all of them, and focus on the person of Christ, his bearing of God's eternal wrath on your behalf for all your sin, the forgiveness that he gave you, making you whiter than snow that we sang earlier, daily thankfulness for salvation that's given by grace through faith in Christ alone, can only be obsessed. In other words, you have to evaluate your obsession and compare them to the obsession that Paul wants, that God wants, Christ and the cross. And you're probably going to have to say, you know what, maybe these need to be diminished in my life for that to take its proper place. And that's an act of dependent worship. It's an act of dependent obedience. You can't do that in your own strength. But you say, if God convicts your heart, you can say, Lord, help me to have these things grow less in my life And you and the cross become my obsession. Letter B. Are you free from the world? Are you free? You can enjoy the blessings of this world that are not contrary to the word. But in your heart, listen, here's the question. Are you willing to give up anything that smacks of competition to Christ? I'm not just talking about plain, obviously, worldliness. I'm talking about affections. Are you willing to give up affections, things that you enjoy that seem to be, are you ready, in competition to Christ? I can't tell you what those are because it's different for everybody in this room. But whatever that is, if it's competing with Christ, are you willing to say, Lord, I need that to diminish in my life so that the world is more crucified and that you are more in the focus? That I treasure your internal love, your joy, your peace, the abundant life that you offer more than the noise, the music, and the entertainment, and the distractions of this world. Are you? Letter C. Are you vocal about salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone? Listen, Galatians, this whole book has is, is been savagely uh, pointed. I, it, it's so direct And he's been telling us, stand against false salvation in any effort to try to please God in our own strength. Fight for the truth of salvation by grace alone. Be vocal to others uh, about who are trusting in a false salvation, a false religion, and trusting in themselves to be saved. Make it clear that salvation is only in Christ. And how do you do that? You talk about your own sinfulness. You talk about your own desperate need for a Savior. You talk about the completed work of Christ. You don't come in attacking and hacking and slashing with your machete of limited atonement, okay? You come into this going, I'm a broken sinner, and I had nothing to do. I couldn't, I couldn't make myself right with God, and only he could do that. And he accomplished that. He took my sin. He, he took the punishment that I deserved, and, and, and I receive it. I said, I'm tired of working my way to heaven, and I received it. And letter D, grow to become a cross Christian, not an angry Christian, but start every day being obsessed with the cross. As you depend on Christ to save you, as you depend on his spirit to work through you every day, remember what our Lord Jesus Christ did for you every single day. That's why we sing certain hymns. 
like Isaac Watts. Would you stay with me? Don't put your stuff away and listen to these words. When I survey the wondrous cross where the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See, from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that is a present far too small. Love so amazing, love so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Heavenly Father, we have gathered today to conclude this study, but we've also gathered to reaffirm to you that we want your Son and His work on the cross to be our obsession. And Father, it may be that we need to be your child for that to occur. We need to submit to you in salvation. We need to cry out that you would transform us internally and not just be an external Christian, one who's not born again. Father, we pray that those of us who are would again be reminded that our worship today is how we would offer ourselves to you and we offer ourselves to be dependent upon your spirit so that Christ and the cross will be more of a reality in our life in moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour so that we would be consumed with the things that would actually bring us great joy and great peace and great love because of what you've done. We pray now that you would be pleased in how we respond. We ask that our worship would be acceptable to you. We love you and we thank you for being our God and our King. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast. And a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.